All right, we are back. Business of Film, episode number 29. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and you're listening to a crafttruck.com podcast. This week, it's going to be a good one. We've got Jamie Wilkinson with us. He is the CEO and co-founder of VHX. Now, if you're not familiar with VHX, you will be by the end of the show. It is a technology platform that enables anybody to self-distribute their product online. Pretty powerful stuff. Uh, Phenomenal product in terms of its ease of use and integration for filmmakers. There was just a ton of stuff that I wanted to dive into on this episode with Jamie, and he shares uh, a lot of insights about how the platform works, where they're taking the platform, how you can take advantage of it, and some of his best advice from some of the analytics that he's seen uh, having had hundreds of films go through and use the platform. So there's a lot to share. Let's just dive in. Enjoy this one. Uh, It was a good one. Thanks, Jamie. Before we kind of dive into all the the nuts and bolts that is your your platform, maybe you can give our listeners a little bit of a a history on on yourself and how you came to uh, discover slash create VHX. Yeah, the origins of VHX are... uh really just from my, my co-founder Casey Pugh and I, we were collaborating on, uh, actually a variety of sort of video projects. Um, we both have backgrounds as software developers, uh, but we're kind of keenly interested in video and internet video, uh, and film and television. And, uh, I was, uh, when I first met Casey, I was working at a company called rocket boom doing video blogging stuff and lots of YouTube and, we launched a site called Know Your Meme, which ended up becoming really popular, and we sold it off to the Cheeseburger Network. And Casey was one of the early de- uh, early developers at Vimeo, and created the Vimeo player. And then he went and worked at Boxy for a while. And then uh, this is around this time the two of us um, started working on a project called Star Wars Uncut, which was this crowdsourced recreation of the Star Wars film. And we ended up winning a primetime Emmy. And this is actually sort of like where the VHX story actually sort of starts because we um, started going to television academy, academy events and meeting people in the industry and learning a lot more about like where the movies that we love so much sort of came from and how convoluted the process was. And like we'd always ask, you know, when is this going to be available digitally? We don't have any DVD players. And we would just get kind of shrugged off in a lot of instances. So... That's when it became sort of apparent that there needed to be another way of getting premium content out into the world um, where like if you are a musician and you can't you know get into RDO or Spotify or something you can always there's SoundCloud is an amazing platform and it started as something really small just to host your MP3 files but now it's grown into sort of the premier place to put your audio um, and in that same way we wanted to have an open platform where really anybody could come along and publish a site and sort of sell direct to fan with a really high quality streaming experience, something that's like as good as Netflix, as good as some of the experiences we built before. So the, the, the breadth of VHX right now, you have, uh, let's, let's talk about what the platform is. How do you describe yourself when you talk about VHX? VHX is a digital distribution platform for film and television content, other kinds of video content. Uh, we enable creators to sell, turn their website, run a website, and turn that into a store where they can sell their work directly to fans. Now, you also do this, and just, just as we kind of siphon off into the different sort of categories and services that VHX can provide, you also provide 
the ability for uh, individuals or companies to act as their own distributors of content too. So not just a single producer, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, if anybody who wanted to use the platform to aggregate content, they could do that too. Is that... Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a broader goal for us is sort of changing what it means to be a distributor exactly because... Uh, so much of the value that's brought today by a distributor is, is really marketing power. And for people with kind of an online presence, like we saw no, no reason why you have to be the one who made the movie in order to sell the movie, right? That's not the model. So we'd like to enable that at sort of web scale where it's something where, like you're saying, you could sell other people's content from your store and sort of everybody can operate a store. And it's sometimes we call VHX as like, you know, roll your own iTunes, roll your own Netflix because... Uh, you can have one title, but you could also have thousands of titles, tens of thousands of titles. So when did, when did you, in your, I guess, beginning phases of the company, when did you realize that you were onto something? Because right now, there certainly isn't anywhere that I can turn where I'm not hearing about the VHX story. There's announcements that have been made uh, recently coming out of, um, I believe, was it South by Southwest uh, was the most recent announcement that, that you made where you opened up the platform to, to everybody, whereas before it was kind of in that beta testing stage. Uh, That's right. So, so now the platform is fully open to any producer, anybody that wants to take advantage of the platform, they can use it now. That's right. So how long, uh, so, so how long were you in that, that beta testing phase, and when did you kind of come to the realization that we're on to something here. This is going to work. We're going to, you know, try and scale this, this model as quickly as possible. Yeah, that was always scaling and opening the platform to everybody was actually always our goal. Um, our first release was a little over two years ago. It was Aziz Ansari's comedy special, uh, called dangerously delicious. And, um, the reaction was huge and immediate and, uh, it was kind of in the wake of Louis C.K. had done sort of separately from us. And it was readily apparent that this was an entirely viable model for, you know, a high-end producer, somebody with a lot of audience like that. And then uh, a few months later, we worked with Indie Game the Movie to help them self-distribute uh, from their website, as well as kind of releasing globally with iTunes and with Steam. And their kind of a flip side case to that because they are first time filmmakers, just two people from Canada and they don't have millions of Twitter followers. They had 8,000 Twitter followers at the time and they also did phenomenally well. And we realized that this was something that could work for anybody kind of big or small. And we started working with more distributors, uh, folks like draft house films and oscilloscope where they have kind of a slate of titles. And for them, it works too, because it's having a website. They could have 10 websites. They could have two websites. They could launch a website for each vertical of film that they work in. So right from the beginning, we knew that this was something we wanted to open up to other people. And we've been in this private beta process really to scale up, uh, the customer support side of it, sort of the knowledge sharing part of it, as well as um, kind of fleshing out the product to the point where somebody could go from beginning to end without necessarily having to call us. And um, we've been in a pretty healthy spot for about the last six months where we've really been scaling up the beta and inviting in as many people as we possibly could, leading up to this, uh, opening it up to everybody and kind of inviting the world to just self-distribute on their own. And we've seen the reaction has been amazing so far. Like we, we get all kinds of stuff that people want to sell. Anything that used to be sold on a DVD you can sell online with VHX now. And uh, what you find on DVD is wild stuff sometimes. So when you opened up the doors, did you, uh, were, were, 
were your servers prepared? <laughs> Did you have, a, you know, a, a massive influx of people that time? Or has it been just kind of a slow build uh, as you've just been getting the word out about what VHX is? Because to be honest with you, uh, the the name VHX was new to me. And it was only, I guess, within the last... I don't know, six months or so that I, that I became aware of what the platform was and, and what it could do. And, uh, there was certainly some, uh, education, uh, as a producer about where it kind of fits in the landscape of things. Mm-hmm. So I guess really the core of my question is about, uh, educating your audience about what VHX is. Um, has that been a challenge for you guys? Uh, just getting the word out, letting people know that, that you exist. Oh, totally. As a young startup, that's the name of the game is really just, you can make something great, but it doesn't matter if nobody's there to use it. And so getting the word out, we, we try to do the, the festival circuit. We're at pretty much most of the major film festivals. We even have somebody going out to Cannes uh, in a couple of weeks. And um, really, the marketing is, is absolutely our biggest challenge. And then, like you're saying, the sort of educating filmmakers around what is possible with something like this and how it fits into all of the other plans that they're doing and how it can be part of a kind of like a, a, you know, distribution is complex. Like I wish it was as simple as we'll just sell it on the internet only. But uh, the people that we're working with, you know, they have distribution deals, you have foreign distribution deals, you have your crowdfunding backers that you need to fulfill. Uh, there's all kinds of, you know, you have TV licensing you might want to do. You want to put it on Netflix, you want to put it on iTunes and Amazon and other places. And we see VHX as something that is not a replacement for any of that, that it's something to augment all of that. Um, and so there is, so I'd say absolutely as a company, our biggest challenges are really just sort of getting the word out and then uh, building up as much kind of knowledge as we can that we can share with people in sort of a scalable fashion. Um, and we have a couple of things we're planning around it. Like, like we have a, like help.vhx.tv that has a lot of sort of tutorials and things like that, but we want to integrate it better into the app as well as um, pretty soon we're going to be launching a forum where our filmmakers will be able to have kind of questions and answers and can talk to each other rather than only talking with us. So it, being that it's in the, the nascent stages of opening it up to, uh, to filmmakers to use uh, and to leverage, where does... V, I mean, you, you, you kind of started talking about this just before, but where do you see VHX sitting in the distribution landscape? So if a filmmaker is going to uh, want to take advantage of the platform and they're out there and they're talking to the distributors and they're at festivals and they're trying to get a distribution deal or maybe they don't get a distribution deal, can you just talk about, you know, when you're talking to producers about educating them about how to structure uh, VHX into their overall distribution plan for their mm-hmm. film. What do you tell them? Well, what we tell people is really to get started as early as possible. Um, while we say that VHX is kind of a platform for selling your work, that is actually kind of the last step or one of the last steps in the process. Um, the people who sell the best with our platform are the people who have been building audience for a long time who either bring something to the table because they're, you know, a famous comedian or whatever, or like the case of Indie Game the Movie, because for several years they've been blogging regularly, they tweet constantly, they're responsive on Twitter, on, on Facebook, they raise two rounds of funding on Kickstarter, and that is like core audience base that is, is like a garden, you know, it requires constant attention and constant nurturing in order to grow. And... That is honestly the biggest challenge, and the, even the way we've structured the platform is that having a website for your film 
it should happen as early as humanly possible, uh, both because it can be a place that you point people to that has information about your project, but more importantly because it has a mailing list sign up, because it has links to your crowdfunding projects, because later on, like we support pre-sales specifically for this purpose, where even if you're you know, not ready to sell yet or it conflicts with whatever deal you're looking for, you could still offer pre-sales, which are essentially an extension of the crowdfunding, right? We sometimes call it slacker backers because it's people who want to buy into your rewards or buy into your updates, but uh, didn't make it in time for the crowdfunding campaign. So Slacker? I've never heard that term before, to be honest. Uh, so yeah. explain what a slacker backer is. Yeah, slacker backer. So, I mean, your Kickstarter campaign has a 30-day time limit, and one of your rewards might be uh, access to like our production diary, you know, and um, even like a copy of the film, like you're pre-ordering a copy of the film or any other kind of things involved in it. And so the idea of a slacker backer is you can continue selling access to the inside track even after you finish the crowdfunding campaign. And you would do that on this, your on your platform. This is something we actually just launched yesterday is this updates feature, which um, is very is, is similar to how Kickstarter and others do up project updates. Um, the difference being that with Kickstarter, it's limited only to the people who made it in time for your crowdfunding campaign. But with VHX, you can sort of take that mailing list, roll it into your site, and then allow people to buy in. And so we have a few people who are using the platform where it's like pay a dollar, pay $5, and you'll essentially just get access to the production diary. But What's great about it is you're like identifying your fan base. You know, you're engaging with your fan base early. What's, what I think is interesting is that this is a skill that YouTubers are so so good at. You know, and filmmakers and most of the filmmakers we meet, most of the people working uh, in the industry, um, it is the last skill that they have are good at in a lot of ways. And so, so much of our goal is is almost to help teach that audience building process. And it's something that starts super, super early. It starts as soon as you've named your project that you need to register a domain name and sort of like, and part of that is just like search engine optimization. Part of that is just having a destination that you can start pointing people to something that you can put in your Twitter bio, something that you can put on your business cards because it's a long slog of, of audience building, but it's something that stays with you forever if you do it right. So, Let's 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 talk about the platform itself. I I, I have had the opportunity uh, through a project uh, that we've been involved with to use the VHX platform, and I'll certainly say this about the platform: it's incredibly elegantly designed. It's simple to use. Uh, I assume there was uh, a, just a ton of uh, you know time and effort to create that interface so that it's almost you know a thousand monkeys at a keyboard and. Away you go. It's, it's, it's just it's 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 easy, uh, which is phenomenal. But what is also the the thing that I pull away from the platform when I use it are the analytics. I look at it and mm. I go, I understand where my audience is coming from. I see where the conversions are happening. I see how they're happening. Uh, and so let's talk about those analytics because I'm guessing that me being one you know, producer using your site, let's say, is very different than you having the aggregated information of all these distributors and of all these individual producers using the site. When Mm -hmm. you look at the analytics and you see what's working, where conversions are being made, where is traffic coming from that's driving the best results, what do you see and is there information 
that you are able to glean from that that you can share with our audience? Absolutely, yeah. Um, we're actually gearing up to launch um, kind of a public stats page that shows off a lot of what we see at sort of a platform level, um, specifically with this goal of like what you're saying, like because we have hundreds of releases, thousands of releases on the platform now, um, we have kind of a great aggregate level picture of what seems to work. Um, as far as where traffic comes from, the referrals tend to be kind of the usual social media suspects around like Twitter, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr for people who are big on Tumblr. But our best converting source of traffic is from YouTube, um, which should come as no surprise that it's like if you make promotional videos for your project or you are somebody with a YouTube audience that they are watching video and they were better convert to selling, you know, to buying your video. Um, so and then let's, let's talk about that for just for just a minute, because uh, that actually surprised me when, when when you just said that YouTube. So what is it that filmmakers are putting on YouTube that's yeah. driving traffic back to the site? Are they trailers, are they promos? Like what kind of content? I mean, if you even have or know what this this what that looks like. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we definitely do. I'm I'm the house data data nerd. Um, and we actually just hired um, uh, a full-time data scientist too to help dig into all this stuff and sort of make all of this intelligence available for people and insights. Um, so with YouTube, it's actually a mix of three things, I would say. The first and the obvious one is trailers, uh, plural, hypothetically. The second um, is kind of pre-release clips and content, which... Um, I hate to keep citing Indie Game the movie, but they that is the one tip that they always tell everybody is give people clips of your movie before you've finished it yet. You know, and, and it is like for somebody who's who's following a movie, the most compelling thing you could give them is parts of the movie. And there was so much like footage that didn't necessarily make it into their final film that they still released beforehand. And they said they released almost ninety minutes of content before they actually released the movie. Um the third thing is actually relatively new. It's sort of since we opened up the platform to other people, and it's YouTubers who are coming into the platform, and they actually are giving away the bulk of what they're making for free on YouTube and looking to, you know, they're building a YouTube channel primarily, but then they are selectively charging for content um, from those videos that they're making. And the, the film version of that is Camp Dakota, where they are very successful YouTubers with very popular channels on YouTube that they made a 90-minute feature film. They also made a documentary about the making of the film as well as sort of lots and lots of bonus content around it. And then we've also had a few people come in where they have, you know, kind of a moderately popular YouTube channel um, and they're making sort of serial content like a TV show. And in some cases, they give away the first episode for free and then ask you to pay for the rest of the season. And in one case that we saw work really well, they actually gave away for free the entire season except for the finale. And they made the finale available on VHX and you had to pay for it. And it was actually pay what you want um, with like a $5 floor. So it was pay more than five or more dollars. And tons of people in that case paid more than $5 because they'd watched the other seven episodes for free. And mentally it's like oh well, you know yeah sure i'm paying for the finale but i'm actually paying for the whole thing what kind of subscribership did that series have just out of curiosity was it uh, a fairly large like million plus type of following or no no uh this uh this specific channel is um uh it's called black and sexy tv 
and they have about 75,000 subscribers, which is a lot, but not millions. That's very reasonable. Certainly not the kind of, and that converted exceptionally well or very well. Phenomenally. Phenomenally. Yeah. They've been doing an amazing job of just sort of like innovating the format of blending sort of free ad supported with, uh, paid on VHX. And they've also been taking advantage of this sort of pay what you want feature that we rolled out, um, to, to, great success and it, and it really it is because they do have this engaged audience because they're putting out content all the time and um that's the thing that's hard for filmmakers it's it's I, and i totally get why um but if that's the one thing i could get across to your listeners you know it would be that idea of showing your work as you go along like your fans want to see unfinished clips they want to see like you know interviews of you in the basement just like bunkered down editing and the video could just be you know just hey you know i'm still alive we're still working on it here's like here's a video of my computer screen you know so it's not low res it's not like leakable you're not really giving away the farm you know you're just sort of showing your work and showing your process and i think um for other filmmakers that's really fascinating but also just for casual fans it's also really interesting this is this is super insightful information so let's just go back i guess because I, I took you on a bit of a tangent there uh, uh from the top converting traffic so the, the what you're saying is youtube is by far right now your top converting traffic, and and then what else is working really well? Yeah, Twitter, Facebook, kind of like if you look internet-wide at the top referring uh, sites, you're going to see kind of Facebook, uh, Twitter, a few others. Um, and then uh, email campaigns perform really well, no surprise. That requires that you have an email list, which is something you could be developing early and often. Um and then a lot of the rest of the traffic is is from search. Um, I think something like 20% network-wide comes from search. And um, that's people who just sort of hear about your movie and then Google it. And then the official website that you've set up with VHX is the top hit. So that's where they end up landing and converting. So, uh, I mean, the three broad buckets are always sort of like social media traffic, um, search traffic, which takes effort. Like you can't just set up a website and then it immediately starts ranking as a top result. Um, and then kind of direct traffic, which is, uh, both people kind of typing in the URL of the site directly, but also, uh, all of your email campaigns, which perform, uh, the best, even better than YouTube in terms of conversion because of people who are interested. Okay. So just to clarify that direct traffic is performing better than YouTube traffic because those are your most interested, engaged fans. And then after that, you would go into the social elements like youtube and facebook and twitter yeah exactly and it's uh and with direct it's direct is this uh this horrible catch-all bucket it's um traffic that we couldn't tell where it came from so some of that might be uh people who typed in your url directly in their browser some of that might be referrals that the referral got dropped somehow but uh the majority of that and the stuff that converts the best is from email lists and that's just because like when you're opening an email it doesn't show a refer so it shows up as direct traffic uh Okay, And then social media is the next big bucket by far. And what I think is interesting is that people don't... Cons- I've talked with a lot of people who don't... When I, when I say, like, yeah, YouTube is our best converting social media source, they're like, what do you mean YouTube is social media? And I go, YouTube is the... For video people, YouTube is the best possible social media. Right, of course. Uh, although it's funny that you say that. You wouldn't necessarily think it because when you think of social media, you think Instagram, Pinterest, 
Facebook, Twitter. A uh, question about Facebook, though. Have you seen a decline in Facebook conversions since they changed their algorithm? You know, not directly. We've only been, we, I mean, we've been in business for about two years. I'd say our data for the last year or so is, is pretty sound. Um, there hasn't been a drop in the conversion necessarily, although we do hear lots of stories, like I'm sure you do too, around sort of the difficulty of even getting to your fans and sort of the the war with promoted posts. Where it's horrible. It's horrible. I, I'll, I'll just, just even on one of our own sites, it, it, and I'll just give an example. Say 2,000 fans where it used to go to 10% is now going to 2 Right. Yeah, and it's um. So that's interesting. Is that stuff that's um? Is it for what? What project is it for? Is it for the podcast or for your film or? Uh, it's for a film that we were involved in, and yeah, uh, it's, and it's actually also uh, just for 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 Craft Truck. Uh, I'm I'm happy to share this with with our listeners as well. Um, in the interest of disclosure, you know, we have two thousand four hundred something like that fans on Facebook, uh, and. You know, when you when you put out a post, organic uh, traffic would be I don't know, hundred to two hundred people, depending on the popularity of the post. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if it's people share it or like it, more people may see it. But the reality is, uh, on just an organic basis, that number, you know, two from from one to two hundred is has dropped to under fifty. Wow! On wow! A consistent, consistent basis. Yeah, so, and I hear similar from a lot of other people. So it's definitely not just you. You know, it's it's and and when I've talked to people at Facebook about it, the defense is that people actually prefer news from other people, and that basically what's happened is that like pages as a whole are seeing less traffic. Um, yeah, it's almost better to be a person on Facebook and then just kind of share words and pictures than being a, a brand, i.e. a film on Facebook, yeah. sharing content. It, I don't think it travels as far. Yeah, and we haven't seen like a palpable effect from that, but like the on-the-ground viewership numbers from inside Facebook and what people are seeing in their Facebook analytics has been really rough. So I, I would have to double-check our, our numbers in the decline over time, but offhand, it hasn't really changed a lot. And that might just be because people are like, posting from their personal account or they're posting so often that it is eventually reaching people or maybe everybody is actually using like paying to payola and using promoted posts to reach more people yeah hard to tell hard to tell okay so this is okay so this is some really really interesting information about sort of what's working on uh on the platform uh as i ask almost all of our guests and uh i'm going to throw this question uh, at you as well what's not working what are producers doing wrong or what are, you, what are the mistakes that you're seeing producers make? And they may not be mistakes. Maybe it's just uh, they just don't yet have the education to kind of figure out what they shouldn't be doing. So they kind of jump into it, uh, mm-hmm. excited to get going, and, and they haven't maybe put in place what they should have. So what are the, if there are areas where people trip over themselves, what are they? So many, if there are so many. Um, Okay, the two big ones that I would focus on, one I've already touched on a lot, which is uh, audience building and sort of the concept of audience building. I think that the existing model for filmmakers of the last 35 years has been one where you are the creator, you create the work, and then you sell it to a distributor and they handle all of that audience stuff. Um, 
that is not the model of the internet. The internet is one where the creator, the connection with the creator is the most compelling part of the story. Um, it's why you're interested in it in a lot of ways and that people are able to reach fans directly and they need to really embrace that and make that a part of your process. Um, so audience building a is something that people, um, are not spending enough time on thinking about people aren't talking enough about. Um, and for us as a, as a company, now that we've kind of made great headway in solving the software problem, that's the thing that we want to address. Um, the second one is, uh, worldwide releasing. Um, a lot, we, we have support for geo-blocking in the platform so that people can offer something just in one territory. And then for people in other countries, it says, you know, we're sorry, this is unavailable in your country. We recently added a feature so that it also says, you know, request access to this film and it subscribes you to the mailing list and it sends a notification to the filmmaker whenever you are geo-blocked and you want to see it. And um, we already knew that that was going to be really popular because over 60% of our sales come from outside the United States. Um, and that is even with the geo-blocking across a lot of the titles that we already have. And without fail, the top performing releases on our platform are all available worldwide at the same time, right? There's no geo-blocking. And so this makes perfect sense because there's one internet and there's one world. Um, but the reality of sort of film distribution deals hasn't caught up with that yet. And so filmmakers never want to geoblock, but they all, and like, but they have, you know, a deal in France and they can't necessarily sell it in France. And as much as possible, I encourage people to kind of be thinking globally from the beginning and even in conversations with distributors, trying to figure out a way where you can do, you can at least tighten the windows, at least like ideally it can be worldwide. Like worst case, you at least like keep it pretty tight because if you talk to people in the rest of the world, they are so accustomed to being denied access to buying something that they go to piracy first. You know, they don't even bother checking anymore. Because people in Canada who are like just a hop, skip, and a jump away are just, they assume that it's not yet available, even though they're reading about it in The Hollywood Reporter. Um, and that, I think, is going to be like a big challenge overall. It's going to change the way that we start talking about distribution deals, the way we talk about like direct sales. Like the fact that iTunes has ostensibly like 160 different stores is crazy. It should just be one store. You mean iTunes, the stores, you're talking about iTunes per country, different stores. Yeah, they have, right. they have a different iTunes in every country. That's crazy. It's an interesting concept. I mean, you, is that, I mean, I, I can kind of understand why, because each country wants right. to promote its own catalog of product first. So people who are in the States are going to, you know, want U.S. content, let's say, more than somebody who's in Scandinavia, who's going to mm -hmm. want to see Scandinavian titles more prominently displayed on their page. Um, but when you say that it's crazy that they have multiple stores, you're just, it, it, that doesn't change the fact that different jurisdictions may still be given access to uh, a different basket of goods. Right. And, and, that, and that's just it. Like, I think it's less to do with sort of what is shown on the front page or what language is it in. It should absolutely be personalized to the region that you're coming from, the language that you speak. Right. The, the problem is the catalogs are wildly different and that, you know, if, oh, if you see what you're saying. Yeah. You don't even get access. If you're in one area, then you just do not get access to this film because it's 
blocked and not available. And it's, in it's, it's just the worst. You know, it's really, it is a, a, a legacy process from when, you know, there were actually borders between countries and that news in the United States would stay in the United States. And the marketing effort that you were doing in the United States was only for the United States. But the reality of even what distributors are doing today, like when they buy just the U.S. rights, the marketing that they're doing in the U.S. is reaching all around the world. You know, like people, the Internet is completely global. And the fact that we're seeing month over month more and more international traffic and even so much of the conversation in the film industry is around sort of the growth of international and how that's really like carrying the wave of theatrical today and that's like a trend that will continue so it sort of behooves everybody to be getting ahead of that game um and this is honestly this is when i'm saying this i feel it's targeted more at the distributors to be thinking about how to essentially how to collaborate with those other distributors in those other countries because these sort of uh territorial deal structures aren't going away so we need to come up with a way of kind of getting everybody together and um, one inroad to this that we're making is we have a feature in beta where you can have one VHX site, but you can have uh, many parties uh, get paid from that one, the sales on that one site. And it can be just sort of like a, a simple rev share where it's like, I get 50% and my distributor gets 50%. But it can also be tied to geography. So it can be all of the digital French sales uh, all the sales you know, to people in France go to my French distributor, or 80% goes to my French distributor. And that is, this is kind of... Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic idea. That's like one VHX. Exactly. And I mean, iTunes could do the same thing. Like, if they were innovating the way that we are... I mean, we're small and scrappy, and we spend so much of our time thinking about how we can get a leg up in, in a very uh, you know, big space, very important space. And... Something like iTunes, there could be one store, and all they do is say, yeah, you know, the Spanish sales are going to go to the Spanish distributor, and the Chinese sales are going to go to the Chinese distributor. But um, they don't. They're just like, oh, we'll just set up different stores. You know, we'll just make completely different stores. So do you think of yourself as, uh, and there are different technology platforms in the business uh, not offering what you're doing, uh, but just in general, my, my question to you is, do you think of yourself as a, technology platform or as a distributor as a technology platform period underline double underline uh i think it is uh, we we do not acquire content or invest in content um you know casey and i our backgrounds are as software developers that would be a bad idea just based on our professional expertise but I also think it's a bad idea because the the hole in the market is for a neutral technology platform that doesn't pick winners, that just provides the tools for people to distribute their own content rather than someone who is sort of saying, like, I must have this content exclusively over here, you know, and that is something I see getting shaken up and we absolutely view ourselves as a technology platform and not as a distributor. We're, we're the technology platform for distributors, and do you feel that there's any friction right now between what you get, what you guys offer, and the industry, uh, or to the extent that that friction exists, how palpable is it right now? Like because you are kind of shaking things up a bit, and uh, I see what you're doing to be more and more uh, fractious for the market in general uh, as people take advantage of VHX. Uh, what has been the response, I guess, from the distributors, from the industry at large, to, to what you guys are doing? Oh, it's been supremely positive from everybody in the value chain, from the smallest of small indies, like I made a movie in my backyard, um, all the way up to 
the studios, networks, distributors, um, production houses, we're having conversations with the biggest of players too, and even you know very large media companies because they are equally interested in removing middlemen as we are, and like they don't have any access to the data uh, in iTunes or the data in Netflix, whereas we expose everything and we hand over all the customer email addresses. Like we want that is what makes you successful as a creator long term is having information about what's working and literally every system that's currently available is there to cut you off and to just take your content to buy your content from you and put it in their store and they'll be like oh this is you know this is a walmart title now like you're in walmart and we want customers to come to walmart and to be walmart people whereas what we're saying is like no you can hang out in front of the walmart with and sell stuff out of the boot of your car and that's that's like what the internet has enabled that kind of openness and that directness like there's no barriers to entry anybody can reach out to it and what's really appealing is that distributors are keen on that because it provides them with another avenue that's better informed like somebody who's releasing two movies a month data is even more important to them than somebody who's making one movie a year and so it's 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 absolutely kind of picking up interest everywhere because uh especially as we start to kind of have more conversations around subscription services and running kind of like, you know, run your own Netflix. Um, people are very interested in finding new ways of reaching fans and sort of taking the audiences they have and more intelligently engaging with them. So uh, the, the last piece of this puzzle, uh, you know, you've, you, we've talked about the creators, we've talked about the distributors. Uh, the last piece that you display prominently on your website is the crowdfunding piece. So just talking about how VHX integrates with the person who's looking to do crowdfunding for their project, what is the integration mechanism there and uh, how does that, uh, how do you guys plug into that in the, I guess, most beneficial way possible for the creator? Yeah, we, um, our crowdfunding sort of integration came around organically, which was just, we had, lots of people who wanted to use this to sell their work and they came in and they said, oh, I also have 500 Kickstarter backers and I've promised them a copy of the film. Could I, could I use you guys to do that? And so we sort of, we like made it a, a feature of the platform basically where you can send, uh, you can send out free copies to your, your backers specifically. And it was something that we've made available kind of free of cost just because we really believe in crowdfunding and, um, we want to make that easy. It's funny because basically every film crowdfunding project that you see, one of the rewards is like, a, you know, a digital copy of the movie. Um, 0% of those people know how they're going to do that. And so that was sort of our impetus with, with making an appeal directly to people who are doing crowdfunding is that we make that super, super easy. You just upload a CSV and we'll send everybody a copy of the movie whenever it comes out or whenever you want to send it to them. Maybe you send it to them early. Um, and it's, you know, the same product that we offer for people for sale where it's really beautiful instant, you know, instant streaming and as well as kind of a DRM free download. So you can do whatever you want with it because you're a backer and we love you and we want to make this easy. And there's no, awkward account registrations involved and it's super simple and they literally just click a link in their email and they can start watching. Uh, Are they watching it streaming uh, or is it in, in what format can they choose their format? Uh, I just, I'm just pulling off the, you know, the, the latest 
uh, issues that, of course, happened around the Veronica Mars release. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, how do you address that? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of, um, for us, that was like, it was painful to watch because we've tried to address all of those user experience issues uh, where, you know, requiring, like, the Flickster Redemption, it didn't work on mobile, which is crazy um, in these day, these this era because it's like, you know, a sh- humongous percentage of internet traffic as a whole now is on mobile. And then you had to register, like, two different accounts. And then when you got it, it, it kind of, like, didn't necessarily work the way you wanted it to because it was tied into the whole DRM ultraviolet ecosystem. And so we've tried to, from the beginning of, of VHX, we've thought about the consumer experience first. Like, we worked backwards from that. And we wanted just something where it's like, I give you my credit card and you give me a streaming player and a DRM-free download. And so it's the same thing with crowdfunding backers where you can write like a custom email message that goes out to everybody and then uh, we send it out and there's a link and they click it and they're streaming it right away and they can download it and do whatever they want with it. Gotcha. So I guess just because we're, we're getting here to the end of, uh, of our time, one of the last questions that I wanted to ask you, uh, because I, I'm just going to take a guess it's on the minds of, of people who are out there uh, using the platform is price point. Yeah. What price point, uh, or do you know what price point is converts better or how should people think about what pricing when they price their films? What kind of information have you been able to glean, uh, that you can share? Yeah, we have a blog post that we put up around this with some of our data and, um, the consensus was that for kind of like a feature length production, whatever that might be, that $10 is around sort of the sweet spot. Um, and something we've seen a ton of success with is offering kind of a lower price version or like just the film for $5, but then a deluxe edition, which could be 10, 15, 20 or more and includes the deleted scenes and director's commentary and lots of additional bonus content. And when you put those two things side by side, uh, we found that about, uh, like 50% or so of people opt for the deluxe edition. So that's it's it, it, so the answer, you know, the hard answer is it depends. Um, I think for a series, you may not want to charge $10. You may want to charge $5. You may want to charge $30. It really depends on sort of like what you think the price sensitivity of your audience is. Um, but our average price point across the whole platform is around $11 right now. And with things that are, Obviously, like with $5, you see a better sales conversion. But with $10, you know, the sales conversion only needs to be half to make the same amount of money. So it's a little bit of a fine art of sort of figuring out what the tolerance is for your fans. Uh, that said, there are two really easy hacks on top of that that make, a, make it a lot more powerful. One is this uh, pay more if you want feature, this pay if you want feature, pay what you want that we rolled out where... Um, our data has shown that about 30% of people opt to pay more than you ask. Um, and so you end up making around 30% more on average. So you could say $5. And this is more effective at a lower price point. So if you put the floor at $5, you'll find a significantly more number of people will contribute more than that than if it were at $10 or $20, for instance. And then Another important thing to note is that we also have support for coupons and sort of like running flash sales, which has been extremely effective for the people who've who've taken advantage of it, where um, I know with Indie Game the Movie, 
the flash sales ended up comprising something like 30% of their total revenue. And they ran something, they ran like 12 or 13 of them over the course of a year. So you could basically just plan on like every three or four weeks, I'm going to do a flash sale over the weekend where it's like coupon code, you know, I'm going on vacation or whatever, you know, and then trying to find promotional partners to work with on that, um, making sort of like a limited edition, limited time only event out of something, um, lowering the price point significantly. Uh, and and we found those flash sales work best when it's like a a deep discount, like 50% or more. Really interesting. Uh, I kind of want to take advantage of that now. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing how, how, how humans, respond to limited time only, you know, and, and we're running a lot of experiments around that. Like we don't want to be manipulative, but at the same time, our incentive is to help you sell more. So we're trying to figure out all the ways we can do that. Are you kidding me? Our local airline Porter up here in Toronto, uh, every three weeks you can count on a sale, 50% off, 60% off. There's no yep. reason to actually buy a ticket. At you know, price. and that is, I know we've had a, we, uh, Kirby Ferguson from, uh, everything is a remix and this is not a conspiracy theory. He, um, we had a really interesting conversation around that sort of like coupon culture and how people are training customers to wait for the sale. Um, but I actually think that's a good thing overall because if you're willing to wait for the sale, it means that you're like a step down in terms of your interest level. And we've seen time and time again that there's like, there is some percentage of your audience base who are just so obsessed that they'll pay literally anything you, whatever you ask them to pay. If you were like, if you want it the first day is a hundred dollars, like your conversion will be low, but there will definitely be people who do it, you know? And yeah, it's kind of an interesting, an interesting phenomenon of kind of like, uh, price sensitivity and, and pricing things correctly. But we're, we're hoping to publish even more about this. So I'd be happy to kind of, uh, send some stuff by you whenever we get it together. Yeah, I, I will. What we'll do is anybody who's listening to this podcast, because I, I think it'll it'll live on, obviously, uh, and people will will come back to it. So, what we'll do is anytime that new information is released, if you go to our site, crafttruck.com slash bof twenty nine. This is going to be episode twenty nine. So, anybody who goes to crafttruck.com slash bof twenty nine, anytime you want to send us any updates. In our show notes, we'll include a link to any of those, uh, to any of that that, that information, uh, and certainly people can continue to follow that story and get more information as it's available. But I assume anybody who wants to get this information that their best and first stop should be VHX.TV. That's right. So. Uh, thank you, Jamie. This has been this has been awesome. In, in fact, uh, I could probably spend the next you know hour and a half just just talking shop with you about your platform about what's working and what's not. So uh, I I would certainly love to check in with you again, maybe about six or eight or uh, months from now, and and see what iterations have uh, have happened and uh, and to give people any additional information that you know that that you may have. I mean, I think this is a this is a great thing for filmmakers. So. Thank you so much for taking the time today. This has been really awesome. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. There you have it. Jamie Wilkinson, VHX. That was awesome, right? That was totally, that was totally awesome. I, I was floored by some of the things that Jamie had said, most notably uh, the stuff about YouTube. I, I was absolutely convinced that when I asked that question, he was going to say, 
direct response is the best. Now, albeit it came to that that was obviously an incredibly high converting uh, element for uh, getting products sold, but the fact that YouTube is just such a fundamental driver of uh, of product and the way filmmakers can use YouTube to integrate and keep people engaged, that was just really cool stuff. And uh, likely most people aren't doing that right now, or certainly not in the way that Jamie had described it. And mostly because this is just this is just nascent technology. This is completely new world stuff in terms of the way the distribution landscape is moving. So uh, it was great to have those insights and all the other stuff that he shared with us on the show. So uh, as a wrap up, there's a, a lot more good stuff coming. Uh, on the show and then in the coming weeks so uh, please drop us a line uh, you can find us at Craft Truck on Twitter you can uh, send us an email anytime at coffeecrafttruck.com but you know head on over to the website uh, send us a note leave any comments you have there and uh, thanks for listening uh, if there's anything you want to hear from us obviously let us know uh, and uh, please pass on the good word we appreciate any sharing that you may do to help uh, spread the word about this film podcast and let people know about it. So enjoy your day and we'll be back next week. Uh, Same bad time, same bad channel.